Hey, hey! Welcome to episode 80 of the Authors Read Podcast. I'm your host, Leah Ryan. Today's guest is Laura Kodari, and she'll read from her book, Lifting Heavy Things. My Trauma Story That I Never Tell, Author's Note on Privacy. When I talk about my work, I invariably mention that my interest in trauma-informed movement grew out of my own experience healing from PTSD following an acute trauma in 2014. People then often ask me, can I ask what happened? I reply, no, I'm sorry. My refusal is rarely challenged, and I feel my body relax with relief. People ask this for different reasons, some because they care, others because they cannot help themselves. We all love a good story, and it's often thought that a good story needs shocking events to keep an audience in its thrall. I disagree. I think a good story is character-driven and can be interesting without anything terribly exciting happening. I hope you think so too, because I've written a book full of stories like this for you. People also share their trauma stories for different reasons, whether asked or not. But it has been my experience that people often don't realize they don't have to share. They might believe that in order to ask for help and to be of help, they need to explain the details of what they went through. Again, I disagree, in principle and from experience. I believe that we can receive and give help without telling our trauma story, or any other part of our story for that matter. Although trauma researchers and practitioners agree that when healing, we need people with whom to process our trauma story and confide in, both can happen with the same person. We don't have to share everything with everyone. We need not prove ourselves to be worthy of help. We do not owe anyone an explanation. And if someone continually asks for details and ignores your boundaries, it's fairly certain they are not a safe person. As such, throughout this book, I will use the following marks when I feel the need to bring up the context of my own trauma story. Empty brackets. Throughout this book, we will explore the healing quality of space as represented typographically by these brackets and in the form of compassionate pauses, an allowance to go slow or even stop. To that end, I want to address the way I incorporate my clients' stories in this book. I do so sparingly and have changed their details and blended their stories. I never share a personal trauma narrative. Besides, I rarely even know it. Lastly, I want to note that I began writing this book before the COVID-19 pandemic. At the time, I was thinking deeply about how to convey that we all experience a variety of potential traumas. We lose someone we love. We are involved in accidents or get sick. We are victims of violence or social injustice. But as I neared finishing my first draft, I found myself writing about trauma in the midst of a society-wide trauma, the intensity of which many of us have never experienced before. Trauma at a base level leaves us feeling disempowered, lonely, and and fearful. COVID-19 has certainly done this for many folks while instilling fears of loss, the loss of jobs and economic stability, of a known way of life and of life itself. Everyone is impacted in some way and to some degree. Although this book was not written specifically for life during a pandemic, that context has shaped how I talk in the text about trauma on a macro level and about accessibility to physical training modalities. In my own journey and professional studies, I have learned that trauma is the unprocessed physiological response to an overwhelming event or events. Trauma is not the narrative of what happened, 
but a result of the fact that whatever happened was too much or too quick for your nervous system to process in the moment. In turn, the trauma prevents you from moving through and completing your natural threat response cycle, leaving you effectively stuck somewhere in that response, even after the threat is gone. Your nervous system may still try to protect you from a threat that is no longer there. This leads to changes in your emotional and physical state that are likely dissonant with the present reality. As a trauma practitioner who works with the body, I have come to understand deep in my own viscera that we can help ourselves and others without focusing on the details of the narrative, but on the feelings, sensations, behavior, images, and meaning left behind. Whether you are working with an acute trauma, like assault or an accident, complex childhood trauma, generational trauma, or a larger societal trauma, it is my intention to help you learn how to tolerate the stress and discomfort it brings, no matter the narrative. We can hold space for others and ask to be held ourselves without sharing our trauma stories. This book is, in part, an ode to feeling safe in our bodies and in the world. It is also a rallying cry for us to respect one another's humanity, agency, dignity, and privacy. In my work, I can help people without knowing their story. Their body tells me all I need to know to guide them on their path to healing. You deserve that space. We all do. Introduction. When I work with clients individually, I understand and appreciate that they are making the choice to include me on their path. The same goes for you, dear reader. Experiencing your own agency is an important piece of trauma work, and I want to acknowledge that you are doing so in choosing to pick up this book. Thank you for including me as a guide on your healing journey. What I also do when I start working with a client is introduce myself. As such, before we get started, I wanted to give you the opportunity to learn about me as a practitioner, as well as what to expect from this book. My embodiment journey. I am not your typical fitness professional. I became a trainer and intern at a barbell club in my late 30s. I decided to start my new career path because I felt called to become the trainer I had sought myself, but could not find following empty brackets. I wanted a personal trainer who understood how trauma changes the way people experience their bodies and the world around them. It was my experience, which I later found was supported by research, that exercise had the power to help me heal, but could also exacerbate trauma symptoms. Immediately following, empty brackets, and before I started doing research, I longed to find a trainer or coach who understood this too and reflected back to me that they also understood what it was like to live with trauma, how hard it was to move well as I struggled to tolerate daily life in my body. As alone as I felt at times, I found it hard to believe that I was the only person out there like me. I wanted to strength train, but trauma was making it difficult for me to feel safe while doing so. I found that without safety, healing was impossible. And I was right. As soon as I began practicing as a trauma-informed personal trainer, clients around the globe reached out wanting to work using this approach. Over four years, I have done some great work with individuals in person, but I want to be able to share the body-based modalities for healing trauma with folks, with more folks than I could humanly work with one-on-one. -on -one. So I wrote this book. Another thing that makes me different from many fitness professionals is that I am not a jock and never was. Growing up, I hated gym class and was confused by my friends who chose to play sports. Not immediately revealing myself to be coordinated or athletic, my gym teachers and classmates wrote me off as such. I thought I didn't really mind because I was happiest when I was sitting and reading, writing, drawing, or talking to friends, which matched the rest of my rebel persona I had adopted anyhow. 
but some part of me internalized the idea that I was unathletic and had no business in the gym. I interpreted that to mean that my body was less deserving of love than those of more athletic appearing peers. Over time, this poor self-esteem around my body in both its appearance and ability made me increasingly disinterested in physical activity. Flash forward 20 years and I have become a fitness professional, my accomplishments even highlighted by my college alumni association, the college where, as a student, I had deigned to participate in mandatory PE for what I thought was the last time in my life, interviewed me for two publications and included a photo of me seated comfortably in my workout clothes on a weight bench, a rack of dumbbells and soft focus in the background. Those photos revealed just how much had changed since I had graduated. My hair still hangs in curls around my face, but they are no longer dyed purple. My body, still soft and average appearing, is considerably stronger than it was at 22. The most important change is not visible. I understand that my body is mine, that I am entitled to have boundaries around it and to take up space with it. Next to my photo is a pull quote from the interview. I came into my voice, and not only did I learn what I wanted to say, I felt okay saying it. I was referring to my experience of gaining confidence at a women's college as an insecure teen, but these words also apply to my postgraduate experience through strength training as an adult woman and as a trauma survivor. I went from resenting physical activity to doing it begrudgingly, then habitually, and eventually joyfully over the course of 14 years. Strength training helped me continue to step further into my power each day, including in writing this book. The seeds of my own movement practice were planted in 1999 when my back went out for the first time. It was the summer between my junior and senior years of college, and I was getting out of a chair at my student job when my back seized up all of a sudden. I could barely walk and spent the rest of the summer recuperating so I could be well enough to sit without excruciating pain in long seminars and lectures the next fall. The orthopedist I saw suggested that strength training could alleviate the pain. While I was relieved that he, didn't, that he wasn't suggesting surgery, exercise felt punitive because going to the gym was all tied up in a messy knot with my experiences in physical education class and school, my poor self-esteem, and an internalized societal rejection of the shape and size of my body. I did the prescribed physical therapy and then promptly put strength training and my body on the back burner. Three days out a week, at a local commercial gym, I saw my physical therapist, a reticent young woman with a shaved head dressed in the unofficial physical therapist uniform of a polo and khakis. On arrival, I would get on the elliptical for five minutes or so, and then we would head into the treatment room where she'd spend 30 minutes doing soft tissue work on my back and adjacent muscles, relaxing their spasms enough so I could move. She often did this by finding a tender point with her thumb, knuckle or elbow, and staying with it until it released. Then she would massage the surrounding area and move on to the next tender spot and the next. Then we'd do a few core strengthening exercises before going back to the elliptical for five minutes. It would be 10 minutes the following week and on so on until I could tolerate 30 minutes. After six weeks of physical therapy, I returned to campus with a bit of a limp, a crush on my PT, and the intention of sticking with using the elliptical machine two or three times a week. The limp lasted for years the crush for days, and my commitment to the gym, not at all. I rarely used the elliptical in college. 
I would only go to the fitness center if nothing else works for a flare-up of pain and to keep the habit just until the pain stopped. Seven long years later, I showed up at New York Sports Club to begin strength training. In the time since that bout of physical therapy, I lived my life moving around carefully. I was only 27, but I was frequently in pain and always afraid of my back going out again. I had discovered yoga as one modality that helped me reduce my pain levels and cultivated a regular practice, but I still couldn't be pain-free for more than five days. I finally accepted that I wasn't adequately managing my back pain and that my original doctor, not to mention my mom who was urging me to meet her trainer, was probably right. The day I showed up to my mom's gym, despite resisting it with every fiber of my being, turns out to be the start of a sustainable and healing movement practice. My first trainer, Big Ed Williams, who would become a mentor and lifelong friend, greeted me with a warm and genuine smile. You'll get to know him better in this book. Over the course of eight years, Ed would not only help me train to get out of pain, he would create space for me to find pride in my body as well as have fun in the gym. By our last year of working together, I had also found the curiosity and courage necessary to try the competitive sport of weightlifting, also known as Olympic weightlifting or Olympic lifting, presumably to differentiate it from the act of lifting weights to strength train. You may be familiar with the event from the Summer Olympics in which athletes use three lifts to get barbells weighing hundreds of pounds off the ground and up over their heads. It took a couple more years before my movement practice evolved into its current form, embodied, healing, and joyful, following empty brackets, I developed PTSD and then sustained a second back injury that left me unable to do much of anything, especially Olympic lifting. In order to feel safe training, I decided to use movement to intentionally cultivate a relationship with my body. I listened to it more carefully and began to honor it, not just when it needed to move, but also when it needed to rest. I had to, or else I ran the risk of getting hurt again and again, which would mean I couldn't train at all. I changed the way I approached strength training in order to heal my back first, then to protect my body. I had no idea that this mental process would also play a pivotal role in helping me heal my emotional and spiritual self, as well as my relationship with others. I'd like to thank Laura for sharing her book with us today, and thank you for listening to the Authors Read podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for the link to the book. If you'd like to support the Authors Read podcast, please like, subscribe, or share. Until next time!